Hey guys, welcome back to the Chalk Line Talk podcast. I'm your co-host, Bo Wills, along with my other co-host, Kenny Malloy. Another great show today with a fantastic guest, one of my most exciting guests so far, uh, Andy Mazur, the new voice of the Chicago White Sox on WGN 890 on the radio. Um, that was a really fun interview. Andy is a fantastic personality. I got a feeling White Sox fans are going to love him. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to share that interview with you guys. And we had a fantastic time. Also, I tried to get the new home run call out of him. Today's got a surprise for us, though, so uh, we'll have to see. But, yeah, uh, really great interview. And uh, we also got some cool segments. We're going to go back to a start bench cut segment. Um, three of the top young outfielders today. Actually, one of the guys might end up being an infielder by the end of the year. Not sure. Um, but they all three are extremely young, exciting baseball players that, uh, you know, are going to be futures of our game. We also have a new thing today, and I'm kind of excited about this. It's kind of podcast popular right now, and it's like, you know, a lot of people are doing drafts. So we decided to follow suit. We're going to do a draft of the worst baseball Twitter personalities that we can find. Um, I know I have a few. I think Kenny has a few um, people that, you know, every time they tweet something, it just seems like it gets worse. So that's another cool thing we're doing. We're also going to have a third segment of what the hell happened. So we're going to go three whole segments today. Uh, might be a little bit longer one, but it should be a fun one today. And then we're going to close it out. So that's what we got on the show. Kenny, what do you got? Not much. We uh, got to see the guys working out a little bit more on LV Network. I know I've been watching it nonstop. It's been so much fun to watch these guys working out and stuff. Um, you know, very excited to see my brewers start up here very shortly. And, yeah, I'm ready. I think I'm ready, too. Uh I'm ready for baseball to be back, and uh, yeah, we're going to get into the testing issues in a little bit, but I'm, I'm still confident we're going to have baseball. I'm confident. So Yeah, I think so. T I think we are going to have baseball. I mean, we saw a couple big-name guys come out that, you know, aren't too optimistic about everything, but, you know, when you're in the middle of a pandemic, um, there's stuff like that that's going to happen. There's going to be guys that are constantly concerned. So, you know, there's nothing – we can't control anything other than keep your distance. And uh, it, that's pretty much all we can do right now is just keep your distance and be smart, guys. Yep. So, Kenny, what do you say? What do you say, Bo? We roll the intro. I think it's about time we roll the intro. Well, to borrow a phrase from a man I uh, deeply uh, admire, uh, I'd like to pull up a chair. Take me out to the ball game. Katie, Katie was baseball mad, had the fever and had it bad. Just to root for the home, down through every Oh, 
All right, guys, that was a message from our sponsors at Anchor. Again, if you're looking to start your own podcast, go to anchor.fm slash start. Um, you know, we were talking about being confident, and you're right. I am confident. I still think we're going to have baseball. You're going to hear Andy in a little bit. He seems relatively confident we're going to have baseball a little bit too. Um, but there have been issues, and issues that I, I wasn't expecting. The issues I was expecting was that we were going to find more guys coronavirus positive, like in the initial testing. We didn't. Overall, everybody's been tested. We found 61, which ended up being 1.7%. That's a fantastic number, something that baseball can easily work with. The problem is that we haven't really been testing since. Uh, Chris Bryant talked about that they had some guys that got in there on Sunday and hadn't been tested since that Sunday, which seems like an issue because they're supposed to be testing every day, every other day, and right now it doesn't seem like that's what's going on. And that seems like a, big of an, a bit of an issue. And so with that being said, there obviously needs to be some changes. We need to mandate more testing to make sure guys are healthy and ready to go and that we're not going to have an outbreak that costs us our entire season. And that's the thing I'm most worried about right now. Now, we have seen some camps get delayed, uh, which is a little bit concerning. I think that's mostly precautionary, though. Um, if, if I don't know. I, obviously, I'm not on the front lines. I don't know the backstory. I wish I did. That would be really sick if I did, uh, but I don't. And until we do know all the details, we have to hope that Major League Baseball figures it out, understands that the player's health is the most important thing, and we take that first. And until we do that, we are going to have issues. And I think that uh, testing people every four or five days isn't going to work. It needs to be every day or every other day. If, you're, if it takes a, a day to get the test in, so you test on Tuesday, the results come in Wednesday, and you got to get it tested again Thursday. Um, I think that's the easiest way to do it, and that's the, the most safe way to do it. Kenny, any thoughts? No, I, I agree with you. I know that, the, you know, the school that we go to, they're talking about how are we going to control our athletes? What are we going to do? And, I mean, we're at the college level, and they're talking about doing us weekly. So that just tells you Major League Baseball is way, has way more funds, way more of all that. Um, there's, there's no excuse for these guys not to be getting tested once a week. Yeah, exactly. And I think even once a week is being extremely generous because it can happen like that, you know, and literally the snap of a finger can happen. And again, like you're saying with resources, they have the resources to, to do more testing. And I think that's, that's kind of the point here. And the other, the other big point here is that like you talked about, like at our school, you know, organizations and you know sports around the country are relying on how well these sports leagues do if the nba struggles if major league baseball struggles if hockey struggles if nfl can't figure out a way to get back on time you think everything else is going to open back up easy peasy i mean they have more resources than anybody and if they can't figure out a way to make things work and keep guys quarantined and keep people healthy how are a bunch of colleges with way less funding, extremely less funding, going to be able to figure out ways to do that. And I think that's the most important part here is Major League Baseball and other major sports are at the top of the chain right now. Everything that happens from this point on is basically going to funnel down from what they do. And if they can't make it work, then, you know, baseball, the D3 level is in trouble. And that's way less resources than a, a school like D1. 
And even though they, they might have a lot more resources than a D3, they're still significantly less resources in a Division One program than there are in a major league baseball organization. Yeah, the one thing, though, that I can say is, thank God Major League Baseball isn't in a bubble because I don't know if you've been seeing all that stuff going on on Twitter with NBA players, but the way that – I mean, did you see some of the food that those guys are getting? Yeah, they had like a, like a bag of pita chips and a sandwich. Yeah, like, <laughs> dude, that these guys are huge name professional basketball players making a ton of money, and they are getting pita chips and a sandwich and a styrofoam cup of soup. Yeah, so, like, hey, LeBron, hey, here's dinner tonight, buddy. You're going to get uh, yeah, a little ham and cheese sandwich with a bag of Doritos. <laughs> you think he's going to eat that? You really no, think it's, LeBron it's, James is going to eat that for dinner? Yeah, oh, so I gotta, all I got to say is thank God Major League Baseball is in a bubble. Um, you know, even Adam Silver talked about it. He said he doesn't know if this thing's going to be contained in the bubble. I don't know if you saw that. But uh, he said if this gets inside the bubble, we, we have issues. So – um, you know, no, I think that we will have a baseball season. Do I think all 60 games are going to be played? No. I think, I think at some point there's, there's going to be a little outbreak that happens, especially with guys traveling. I, I know it's less traveling, but if you look at the team, like the Texas Rangers, I don't know if you saw that mileage map of how far they have to travel. I mean, they're traveling 21,000 miles this year. Well, and Which in the grand scheme of things is, is nothing during a Major League Baseball season. But then you got teams like the Milwaukee Brewers who have 4,000 miles of travel all year. Oh, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like the AL Central, like the White Sox are going to have to go to Detroit, Kansas City, Minnesota, uh, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Chicago, literally across town, Cincinnati, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh. That's not a lot yeah. of ways to – that's not far to travel. Now, Texas, obviously, yeah, you get one in the same state. That's nice. But now all of a sudden, we have to go to Seattle. We have to go to Los Angeles. We have to go to Arizona. Like, those are some – that's mileage, and that's traveling a lot with a lot of guys in a lot of crowded places. It's, it's trouble. Yeah. So, you know, the, the optimistic side of me is – yeah, we're going to get 60 games and we're going to get a full season and we're going to get the playoffs and we're going to crown a World Series championship. But in reality, I don't know if we're going to get 60 games in. At this point, I'm just kind of expecting like, hey, I'll get my baseball fixed in for a little bit. It'll probably get canceled, but at least I got to see some baseball. And again, I'm, yeah, not, trying I, to be, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. Like, I, yeah. I know it's coming off like that. And yeah, I'm sorry for that. But I think that's the reality situation. I think a lot of people around the game know as part of the reality situation. Again, not trying to be pessimistic. Like baseball is pretty much our livelihood. If we get yes. 60 games in a World Series, love it. And that's fantastic. And everybody stays healthy. I'm all for it. I just want to be a little bit realistic. And, and here's the other thing. If I assume that it's going to get canceled and it doesn't, <laughs> shit, I'm feeling good, you know? Yeah. But if it, if it's – I'm expecting it to cancel at some point, it does. At least I was being realistic with myself, and I, I figured out it was going to happen. But Yeah. But, yeah, that's kind of all we got for the our typical corona talk. Pretty much a daily thing, but that's, you know, that's kind of the reality situation. Um, but, yeah, a little corona talk, a little cancellation, uh, some, some testing issues. Um, that's all we got for that. We are going to move on to one of our favorite segments, which is Start Bench Cut, uh, and we'll do that next.
And we're back with our all-time favorite segment. Um, both picked these guys this week. We've been – we alternate picking guys every week. And uh, so he picked these guys. And these are three guys who are just entering the prime of their career. Um, three outfielders. And like both said, one will probably be an everyday second baseman by the end of the season. So the three guys we got this week are Tel Marte of the Diamondbacks, Ron of the Cunha, the Braves, and Juan Soto of the Nationals. So I'm going to start with my start. And, and we, we use this word a lot. Versatility. Really? Really? And that's, why I could, that's why I could tell Marte is my start. And why did I pick Tel Marte? This is a guy last year who played 96 games in center field, 80 three at second base and 11 at shortstop. I know the D-backs have their shortstop for the future. They have Nick Ahmed. Where they lack is second base. And that's why I could tell Marte will probably be an everyday second baseman for the Diamondbacks this year. Um, but he's the guy, you know, they moved into the outfield last year. We saw, you know, he struggled a little bit out in the outfield. First time I ever played in the outfield. Um, but Towards the end of the year, he looked really good on the outfield. He had a 7.1 war last year. Uh, weighted runs created plus a 150. Um, you know, batting average of 329. I know we don't, I know we don't talk about it a ton, but that that's a really that's that's a huge jump from where he was previously. Uh, his previous high was in 2017, 2018. He hit 260. So he was always around the 260 plateau before last year, and last year. Just kind of took off, man. Uh, we saw his hard hit rate go up to forty-two point one. Um, you know, he was pulling the ball more. Uh, I mean, this guy is everything you could need in a baseball player, man. Versatility. Uh, I mean, I love Tom Marte. D-backs. I love watching the D-backs play. They're a fun, energetic group. So that's why I'm starting to tell Marte. Yeah, and. <sighs> You know, I want to disagree with you here because I think if you're asking me for the future, who, like, if you had to take somebody for the next 10 years, who are you taking? And I, I take Acuna. Acuna's, yeah. Acuna, I think, is the face of baseball for the next 10 years. I think Trout, uh, next few years, enters his, you know, like, I don't know. I, Trout might not decline. Trout's decline is probably still top 10 player in the league. But he starts to enter his, like, aging phase. I think his regression that, phase. Yeah, his regression phase. And as he enters that, I think that's where Acuna steps in, enters his significant – I mean, obviously, he's a top 10 player in the game now, Acuna is. But he enters yep. his, progression phase, his progression phase. And – that's where I think he takes over and becomes the face of the game. I think Soto's right behind him. I think the only difference between Soto and Acuna is that Soto doesn't, like, have the speed and athleticism that I, I think Acuna does have. And I think that's only separating – I think a Soto's bat's better than Acuna. But overall, I think I take Acuna over the next 10 years. But right now, like, at this exact moment, I think I take Catal Marte as my starter. And I do that because, yes, you mentioned the versatility, and that's such an undervalued trait in today's game is if you can play multiple positions and you can offer more to your team, 
because now all of a sudden I got to spend big money on somebody in free agency. Like, hey, luckily Cattell can move somewhere else. I'm not strapped into well. Cattell only plays the outfield. And so if I need to sign an outfielder, I guess I can. I got to spend my money on an infielder. And maybe the infield market isn't as good this offseason. But now, hey, Marte can play second. He can play short. He can play third base if we needed him to. He can play center, left, and right. Okay, well, wherever I'm weakest at, let's say my weakest spot is, is the outfield or a corner outfielder. Well, hey, I have money to go sign George Springer now. I can move Cattell into the infield or, or vice versa. Hey, I have enough money to go out and sign, you know, DJ LeMahieu in the next couple of years because I need him the second baseman. Well, perfect. I can move Cattell to the outfield. And I think that makes him very valuable. And I think at this, at this exact moment, this like, particular time, I take Marte, and this could be completely wrong. I think maybe I'm wrong, but right now I take Cattell. And that's why I take Cattell, man. He, I mean, like you said, uh, we look at the free agent class for next year, and we, we see guys, uh, LeMay, who's a free agent at the end of the year. Um, you know, Justin Turner's a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, you know, in the outfield, you have Springer, you have Brantley, um, you know, if you believe in Jackie Bradley Jr., he's going to be a free agent guy at the end of the year. So um, that's why I'm, I'm taking Cattell too, man. I, I like Cattell Marte. Uh, he's fun to watch. And, yeah, maybe, maybe last year was like a boom year for Cattell. And maybe he regresses a little bit. And we obviously can see that. And maybe, maybe next year we go back and listen to this recording and think, God damn it, were we idiots. Because Ronald yeah. Acuna is the best player in baseball. Maybe that's true. But I think, it, I think at this exact moment, I feel like Cattell is the smart pick because he is 26 years old, so he's had time to mature. He's seen a lot of pro baseball. And maybe last year was just the beginning for him. And even if the last year's the beginning with him, I still think Acuna soars past him in the next couple of years. I, I, think, I think if you ask me this question in 2023, it's literally not even a, a point of debate. It's Acuna, Soto, and Marte. But, like, and it's not even close. Like, Acuna and Soto are way ahead of Marte. But as of right now, I think Marte's the pick. And that's why he's my pick, Bo. But, all right. You know what? I think I'm going to do my bench pick. And, you that's, know, I was just – I think I was I, – I was going off about Acuna there. It really was. And yet he's my cut. Because Juan Soto's bat – is game-changing. And, yes, Acuna's bat is probably game-changing, too. But Juan Soto walks at a 16% clip compared to Acuna's 10%. He strikes out at a 20% clip compared to Acuna's 26% clip. Juan Soto gets on – in the last two years, Juan Soto's gotten on base at a 400 clip compared to Acuna's 365. He slugs more than Acuna. His weighted runs created plus is more than Acuna. And, actually, you know the craziest part? Soto's BABIP is lower than Acuna's. So Acuna actually gets luckier than Soto, and yet Soto still out-hits Acuna, which says a lot about how advanced – and obviously we saw Soto become a hero last year. You know, he took Cole off the train tracks. I mean, he literally became a legend, you know, as a you know a 20-year-old or whatever he is. But, you know, it, I think, yes, defense is extremely important. And athleticism is obviously super important when you're playing any sport. But in baseball, the ability to hit a round ball with a round bat is the toughest thing you can do. Not Actually, not even just in baseball. 
hitting a ball with a round bat coming at you in 95 to 100 miles an hour is the most difficult thing to do in sports. And you can argue with me if you want, but I'm sorry it is. And Juan Soto does that as well as anybody in the entire sport. And with that being said, he's 21 years old. He's 21 years old, and he does it as well as anybody in the sport. I mean, his way to runs created plus was 12. You know who that, you know who that sits behind? Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, Alex Bregman, Nelson Cruz, Cody Bellinger, George Springer, Anthony Rendon, oh, Cattell Marte at eight, Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo, Austin Meadows. Those are the guys in front of him. And the craziest part about that is his walk percentage is higher than every single one of those guys besides Bregman and Mike Trout. Only guys that walk more than him. So not only does he drive the ball and drive in runs, but he walks more and gets on base and allows for other guys to drive him in as well. Oh, and speed rating. I was talking about athleticism. Of those 11 guys that are in front of him, the only guys that are faster than, than Juan Soto, Cattell Marte and Christian Yelich. So, oh, you know, maybe Juan Soto's not as, not as athletic. Well, this right here says he's as fast as anybody else. So, with that being said, my bench is Juan Soto and my cut is Ronald Acuna. And we are going to have no disagreements here today. Really? I thought you would go Acuna at the bench. Nope. Nope. We are going to have zero disagreements today. I, I think Soto is the real deal. Um, I mean, you, you, you said everything that, that needed to be said about him. I don't even need to go on to my speech about him. I mean, 21 years old, the, the, the kid tore up Major League Baseball last year. He's, yeah. Yeah, Marte is it If he isn't as versatile, he can go play shortstop, can go play second base. Soto's my start. Well, and here's the other thing. I think Cattell Marte's probably the safer pick right now because he's 26 years old and he's seen more major league pitching. But, like, Juan Soto is a tick behind Cattell Marte at this exact moment. And, again, I'll keep saying about Acuna, where I'm probably going to be so wrong and Ronald Acuna is probably going to be the best player in major league baseball in the next two to three years. And we're going to look back at this and say, how did we pick Cattell Marte and Juan Soto over Acuna? But I think Soto's bat translates no matter who he's playing against. Plus – Springer and Bregman cheated, so those guys are ahead of him. Ronald, or Nelson Cruz is a DH. Like, mm-hmm. three guys ahead of him, like, one only hits the ball, and two of them were getting signs about what they were doing. So, also, slight flex, Yon Moncada's, you know, 15th. But Juan Soto is my bench, and I do think that Juan Soto is probably going to be a perennial all-star for the next 15 years. And... I think his swing is as polished as any swing in the game. And I'm, I, there was a tweet of the other day about if you could, like, you know, the Mahomes thing came out. Obviously, you know, getting paid $500 million over the next, you know, 10 years. And, you know, it was if you could bank on one player in any sport, you know, just he's, you could bank on him. No matter what, he's your guy, you're taking him. Who would you take? And I responded with, with Juan Soto. And that's yep. the guy – like a pitcher, you know, you never know, always susceptible to the Tommy John surgery. I just, I have trouble seeing Juan Soto struggling and I hope I don't jinx it, but that's what I got. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you on all that, but we are on the same page there. All right. Well, how about that? We just knocked out together a start bench cut 
I it's the same. Yeah, and perfect. we 100% agreed on Earth. That might be a first time it's ever happened. Might be. I think other than the first one we had when we had the shortstops, yeah. I think we agree on the shortstops. But yeah. all right, well, that was our start bench cut segment of the day. Uh, we have a fantastic interview. Uh, Kenny wasn't on the interview. I was. And I interviewed Andy Mazur, and my yeah, gosh, had a little water leak going on here. Had to had to fix that one. Always a tough scene when you got the household uh, household struggles going on. But Andy Mazur is fantastic. You guys are gonna love this interview, and here he is. Hey, Andy, how you doing? Good. What's happening? Not much. Uh... Just excited to talk to you and uh, get you on the podcast. But thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Hang on. My, my video keeps going off. I see it pretty good now, but. Okay. Works for I'm me. All good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you so much for coming on. It's just going to be me today. Yeah. My, my partner actually uh, had a leak in the apartment, so uh, he will not be making it on. So. Oh, okay. That's bad. Yeah. <clears throat> tough, tough scene I'm for that, some, but. I'm having some issues. To my air conditioning it's just not good today not a good time for that to happen absolutely not no i got this in the wrong ear that's a little better hear me better now yeah all right fantastic well uh for my listeners um this might be my most exciting guest so far uh the new radio voice the chicago white Sox, mr andy mazer um yeah then this is awesome man thank you so much for coming on Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I, I kind of agree that news is awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's very excited. I mean, got to hear you fill in a couple times last year and um, obviously do a fantastic job and ready to hear more of it. Um, but on that note, I guess we kind of got to start with, you know, you're filling in for a legend. I mean, Ed Farmer is a guy that I grew up on. A lot of White Sox fans grew up on Ed Farmer. I mean, he's he's White Sox royalty and you have to step into a role now where you're kind of, I mean, it's, it's hard to fill the shoes of a guy that you can consider a legend, you know? Like, that's hard to do. You know, what's your plan of attack here? How do you go about, you know, becoming the new voice of a team that's had a, a really significant voice for a long time? Yeah, it's, it's not an easy task, obviously. I mean, I, I feel fortunate, though, that at least I got to work with Ed and get to know Ed a little bit, which makes it a little bit easier, I think, for me, because, you know, some people identify me with him and just the fact we got to work together a little bit last year and uh, during spring training games and things of that nature. But uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, Ed uh, is a legend and still is a legend as far as I'm concerned is, you know, his name is on that broadcast booth and that's where it will remain. I mean, it's uh, it's his booth and uh, I'm uh, just kind of renting some space in there right now. <laughs> you know, I, it, it's, it's hard enough to be the second somebody else, you know, let alone be the first one of yourself. So I, I really feel like, you know, I've got to be me and, and just be true to what I do. Uh, of course, paying homage to, to, to Ed and, you know, obviously there's a conduit there with, with DJ still in the booth and DJ and I've had a chance to work together a few times and uh, we get along really well. And I think that, uh, I think that'll be evident in the broadcast as well. It's probably going to be a little different for people, you know, just uh, get used to hearing one guy's voice for so long. Uh, and then, you know, obviously he's not there. So uh, I'm going to do my best to, to kind of make him proud and kind of carry on that tradition. Absolutely. And you kind of mentioned like being yourself. Now, when you come to the booth and White Sox fans, you know, haven't heard a lot of you, but we've heard a little bit of you. What, I mean, what is Andy Mazur in the booth? What is he? Is he, you know, the energetic, I'm getting people going? Is he, hey, this is what's happening, and I'm going to let you know, like, what, what are we getting from Andy Mazur? Who is the Andy Mazur broadcaster? Well, you're kind of getting in between. Uh, you know, you're going to get me excited when, when it needs to be. 
And I'm going to make sure that, uh, you know, I follow the basics of uh, what play-by-play is. And that's, of course, describing the plays and letting you know exactly what the score is, what inning we're in, what the situation is, uh, who's playing in the field, who's pitching, things that you really need to know, especially since you can't be at the ballpark this year. And, uh, you know, you may be in your car, you may be uh, listening on the internet or whatever, but, uh, you know, you're going to get a little bit of everything. I mean, I I don't like to pigeonhole myself into one style. Uh, If I had to say that I had a style, it's much more traditional, I would say, that you know, there, there are a lot of people that I listened to growing up that, you know, were, uh, they, they were a little less exciting, yeah. but I knew what was going on. I mean, that, that was the biggest thing. I knew what was happening in the game. Uh, I knew some of the things that were going on outside of the game. But when you've got a guy like DJ in the booth that I get along so well with, and, you know, I have, I have a pretty decent little personality, so I like to think. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it comes out every once in a while, but it's never going to be at the expense of the action or of the importance of the game because people tune in for the game. We just happen to be there, the ones being de- de- being able to describe it, fortunate enough to do that. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have some fun. I mean, I, I baseball's fun. It's supposed to be fun. But again, it's going to be a situation about timing, you know, whether it's uh, if it's a dramatic situation, I'm not going to crack any jokes. I mean, it's a, it's a serious mm-hmm. situation. You know, if we're early in the game and we're having a hard time getting going or or whatever, you know, we, we might even throw in a listen to the crowd, even though there isn't a crowd there. I mean, uh, you know, we'll have some fun, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's the kind of thing with the radio, too, is you don't have the, you know, the assist of having the video with you. So you can kind of be more creative. You can kind of help portray the game in a different light than when people are watching it on the TV. And it allows you for more room to just be yourself and, and make things fun, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of listen, uh, I kind of look at it like this, you know, it's it's me and DJ, it's two guys watching a baseball game and telling you what we think about it. You know, it's, it's, exactly. it's more, I, I've got, I've got you in mind, you know, I mean, I've got mm-hmm. you listening to the game in the car, thinking to yourself, all right, well, it's a two to one game, the White Sox are up, uh, but the, the Royals are threatening here in the seventh inning. I mean, what do you want to hear? You want to hear them getting out of the inning rather than me cracking a joke or, you know, DJ making a, making a pun or something like that. I mean, yeah, sometimes it's good to break the tension a little bit, but in in those situations, it's a pretty serious spot in the game. You know, I'm not going to be messing around, but, you know, if we're early on and, uh, you know, both pitchers are having trouble and uh, they're walking everybody and uh, things aren't going well at the beginning of the game for either team, and yeah, we're going to, we want you to be entertained too. I mean, that's part of the deal, you know, that the game is the game. Uh, We kind of feel like we're uh, we're in a business of having to entertain sometimes as well when the game isn't entertaining. So we're kind of like that supplement. Not going to lie, Andy, you got a few goosebumps there. You said 2-1 in the seventh, the Royals threatening. I've heard that too many times from Ed and Hawk. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry about that. Didn't gave, me some, gave me some goosebumps. Hey, but excited goosebumps because that means we are going to have baseball. So, hey, I'll take that. Um, now, kind of going back to Ed a little bit, and this is the question that a lot, a lot of White Sox fans have, okay? White Sox have heard, turn on the fireworks for a lot of years. What is going to be your go-to call <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot, Andy. I'm putting you, you on the are. spot. What yeah, do we got? Are. What do we got? See, I have, I have something special planned for the first one. Okay. Let's just put it to you that way, okay? I mean, I've got something special planned for the first uh, White Sox home run. You know, after that, I, I really don't have a signature home run call because I kind of feel this way about it. And it may sound like a cop-out, but it's kind of the way I've done things my entire career. A home run in the first inning is not a home run in the ninth inning of a close game. Absolutely. A home run in the fifth inning to give your team the lead uh, when you've been trailing all game is a different home run than in the first inning. So I kind of do it by feel. Um, you know, certain words will come out of my mouth that, that you know, I hear myself saying a lot, you know, uh, 
and there's other times where it just kind of surprises me because we're in the moment. I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't like to try to get myself into one little phrase because these home runs are so different and I don't want to get locked into something where it sounds, uh, you know, insincere at, at times. Yeah, I get that. So I, I kind of let it, yeah, I kind of let it go. Uh, you know what it is, but I do have something in mind for the first one that will be, you'll want to hear. Awesome. Yeah. It's kind of the way Benetti goes about it a little bit too. You know, he's, he doesn't really have a locked in home run call. He's placed it by the situation. I mean, obviously the, the thanks Cubs call on the Eloy home run oh, last was, year. I mean, yeah, it was great. It was, it was perfect. You know, it, it fit the situation and it landed. And I think that's another big thing about, I mean, specific calls, like a home run call, you know, obviously Hawk had a strikeout call, which you don't hear a lot anymore, but he has a specific strikeout call, but it's about mm-hmm. those calls landing. And I think as long as they do, the fans create a connection you build a bond and, you know, they're excited to hear your voice. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times really, you know, we as broadcasters, we have our own little crutch phrases that we go to a lot. And we don't even realize we're saying them uh, as often as we may be uh, until I go back and listen to a tape or a recording of a game. Uh, you know, sometimes you could, you get caught up on a couple of words and you'll, then you think, all right, well, I got to change this because it gets monotonous and it gets to the point. Of, you know, I, I kind of look, uh, I don't know if you're a big hockey fan at all, but, but Doc Emmerich, who works for NBC, uh, is a guy that I admire the hell out of because he, he's a wordsmith and he'll never oh, use wow, the same yeah. word to describe the same thing twice. You know, I mean, it's much more difficult to do in hockey, I think, than it even is in baseball. Uh, I don't pretend to try to do that, but I mean, it's, it's something that I think is real. I mean, I think it's something that sometimes you have to change things up and you have to give a little variety so it doesn't get stale and doesn't get boring. You know, same thing with the home run calls. I mean, you got to give it a little variety, a little style, a little a little flair if it's a dramatic home run. You know, a, a matter of fact, if it's a solo home run of the ninth inning when you're down 8-1 to one or you're up 9-1, to one, I mean, it, it's not as big a home run to me as if it is a, a tie-breaking home run or a game-winning home run. Yeah, you kind of beat me to the point on that one. I was going to ask you about, you know, when do you go back and listen to yourself and just sometimes slap yourself in the head going, man, did yes. I really say that again? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. And you know what? It's you, you wouldn't think that a lot of us who have been in the industry for a long time would actually take the time to, to go back and listen to things that we do. How else do you get better? I mean, exactly. how else do you know what you're doing right and what you're not doing right? Uh, I've always been a, a proponent of paying attention because if you get complacent, you know, I've been doing this a long time and you know, I've been, uh, I've worked with a couple of different teams now before even getting here to the White Sox and, you know, you get into those stretches of time where you're, you're relying on a couple of phrases and you're like, come on, you're, you're better than that. You know, we beat ourselves up a little bit. I mean, a lot of people might just think, oh, you know, you just, you just go through and you do it and you, you call the game and you go home and you turn the mic off. Yeah, we do. But, you know, there, there's things that linger with me. I mean, I get jacked up when I, when I have a great call, that, in my mind, at least a great call that I think lands. And, you know, I, I got some great advice early on. And it was actually from Pat Hughes of the Cubs. Okay. Who told me that, if you go, if you come away from a broadcast thinking you had the best one you ever had, you probably didn't have as great a broadcast as you think. Now, conversely, if you walk away from a broadcast thinking it was the worst one you've ever done, it probably wasn't as bad as you thought it was. The truth usually lies somewhere in the middle. And, you know, you get to that middle ground by learning from the bad ones and learning from the good ones because you want to be good. I mean, none of us get into that booth thinking, man, I want to screw this up today. Uh, you know, sometimes you do. Sometimes people forget that we're human beings and we're watching a game and it's, and it's live. I can't take anything that I say on the air back. It's out there. It doesn't come back, you know? So uh, that, that's, the, that's the beauty of it. And it's also the, the terror of it sometimes because 
you can't take it back. But you know, I'm a, we're going to make mistakes. Everybody does. It's it's kind of how you, re, you rebound from it, and you, you got to kind of shake it off. Because I always talk about, uh, you know, I, I wish I was a better golfer. But you know, when you, when you play <laughs> we golf, all do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When, when you play golf and you're 125 yards out, whatever club you decide to use, you chunk it. Okay, so you put that club back in your bag. Now, if you're still thinking about that one you put in your bag, you're going to take another club out of your bag, go up to the next, go up to that ball, and you're going to chunk it too because you're still thinking about the other one. You, you got to have a have a have to have that mindset of, all right, it's time to get over that one. There's another hundred calls that I'm going to have to make today. I can't let the first or the second one or the third one bug me. And at the same time. If I think I have a great one on the third one, I can't ride so high that I think, oh, okay, I got this, you know, because then you're going to get bit in the butt. So it's, it's not as easy as people think, you know, we, I, I think people do know that, but, you know, sometimes, uh, especially with social media, uh, the way things are and how immediate your, the reaction can be. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to screw things up. I know that going in. I mean, I know that going in, it's going to happen. Uh, I try not to obviously, but it's how you rebound from that. Exactly. And I mean, that's the same mentality that any athlete should have as well. I mean, you go in, Hey, if I struggled today, I have to get better. If I did well today, hey, that's a sign that I'm doing good work and I've, I've worked hard to get where I'm at, but I can't stop now. And it's the same, it's the same no. mentality. And, you know, by using that mentality, again, that's how you get better. And, I mean, that's, that's the way to go. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I'm, I'm obviously aware of, you know, what the fan needs to hear and what, uh, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to bring to the fan too. So, you know, there's some pressure in that, obviously, because, you know, you, you can't please everybody. Not everybody's going to like me. Not everybody's going to not like me. So, I mean, I, that, that part of it is kind of inconsequential to me. I, I try to do the best I can. I try to do uh, and be as friendly and as, as approachable and, uh, you know, as realistic as possible. But, you know, some people are not going to like you. I'm not Ed. And some people are going like, to not like me because I'm not Ed. Some people are going to like me because I'm not Ed. Some people are going to be completely and totally indifferent. Uh, you know, I, that, that's what it goes back to my original point of just, I, I have to be who I am and who I've been uh, my entire career, uh, a big, huge baseball fan, a guy that wants to see the team he's, he's broadcasting for win every game they play. You're going to know it because I'm going to be disappointed when they don't, I'm going to be excited when they do. And, uh, you know, you can tune in in the middle of the game and you'll pretty have, pretty much have a good idea, even if you don't know the score, you know, what the situation is in a game. Exactly. And then again, that's the nature of the, the business that you're in. I mean, no matter what you do, people are going to either hate you or like, or like you a lot. And that's just the way things go. You know, I mean, we, even for all the years that Hawk Harrelson was a legend in the White Sox booth, there were always going to be people that didn't like Hawk. And that's just the way it went. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the nature of your business. And I mean, <laughs> it's just how it's just the way it goes sometimes. And uh, you have to find ways to get through that. And it's cool to hear that you understand that. And you're just like, hey, this is me. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't take offense to it. I mean, it's, it's personal preference. I mean, that, that's, that's what it basically boils down to. I mean, there were announcers when I was growing up that I didn't like, but you know, I listened to the game because I wanted to hear the game. And I, I think that's still kind of the, the object, you know, you, you may or may not like me or whatever. I and mean, that, that's fine. I can deal with that. I'm a big boy. I've, you know, I've been, I've dealt with disappointment my, you know, in, in my life and I, I know how to deal with that. I'm hoping people like me, you know, I mean, from the, from the reaction so far, it's been, it's been very positive. And uh, I've been very appreciative of that. I, I believe I was blown away when the announcement came, how much, uh, how much came through on social media, but you know, bottom line is this, I'm going to do the best job I possibly can to, to keep up the, the, the tradition that Ed, uh, Ed came before me, John Rooney before him and those that uh, came before John, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's simple. I mean, we're in a big league uh, broadcast booth. We've got to be big league announcers. We've got to deal with the ups and downs and, uh, you know, both personally and professionally. 
uh, again, I just I just want to go there and do the best job I possibly can. Work with my with my partner DJ and hopefully call a whole lot of wins. Yeah, I, I can't wait that uh, I can't wait for you to be successful and just add you to the list. I mean, not even White Sox broadcast, but just the city of Chicago. I mean, Len Casper has been incredibly successful. Obviously, we've mentioned Hawk and DJ and Ed, and Ed so many times. Uh, obviously, what we saw with Eddie Olchek and you know, what he's been doing with the Blackhawks. I mean, you name it, Chuck Swirsky. Yeah. Chicago is a, has a great line of broadcasters. And I, as a fan, I can't, I'm excited to, to add you to it. So um, that's going to be exciting. Now, moving on from the broadcasting portion of this to the White Sox. Mm-hmm. You've been around okay. the White You've been around the White Sox. You've been on summer camp. You've been able to talk to some guys. I mean, have you heard any cool stories, some tidbits that you, know, you just got you more excited or you thought were super interesting? You know, unfortunately, with the summer camp situation, we're not allowed to really get, uh, get close to these guys just because of the uh, physical distancing. And yeah things like that. We get these guys on zoom after afterwards and it's, it's, it's kind of sterile. You're, you're not learning a, a whole lot that everybody doesn't know at this point, but you know, I've been surprised with how, how, uh, how well things have been going uh, to be honest with you with, uh, with the White Sox summer camp, we've heard so many uh, problems and issues with, uh, with several other big league camps where they've actually had to shut things down. Uh, we spoke with Lucas Giolito today after he uh, pitched a couple of innings in, uh, in live batting practice today saying, knock on wood, you know, so far so good. Everybody's been tested every other day. Uh, the results have been coming back quickly. Uh, they haven't really had to shut anything down. Yeah, they had two guys that po- tested positive. You know, luckily they were asymptomatic and, and weren't uh, in a lot of distress. So you, you kind of hope that they have their negative tests and were able to get back. You know, the, the, the weird thing is after three and a half months, they're back on the field and you hope that they could capture a recapture that is the same vibe that they had in Glendale. I've told a lot of people the fact that, you know, walking around that clubhouse in Glendale just before things got shut down, it was fun to walk in that clubhouse. I mean, there was a, there was a very positive uplifting vibe in there. It doesn't always, it doesn't always mean they're going to win. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those kind of things you really can't tell, but you know, you can walk into a clubhouse in spring training and tell if a team doesn't have a chance. Uh, I did not get that vibe whatsoever. Uh, walking into White Sox camp. But the thing that I did like is I like, I, I didn't, I liked the fact that there weren't uh, a lot of, cliques or groups that were going on in there. It's, it's pretty open. And I saw a lot of youngsters talking to a lot of veterans. I saw veterans talking to veterans. I saw Latin players talking to American players. It, it, it was, it was nice. And I think the big unifier uh, in this whole thing is Ricky Renteria. The guy Absolutely. has Absolutely. more positive energy flowing through his body than anybody I've ever met in my life. And I've known Ricky a long time. Uh, we go back to our days in San Diego uh, and he's the same guy he was when I first met him in 2008. So nothing's changed in that respect. And I don't think anything will have to really change with uh, the message that he's delivering to these guys. It's going to be interesting just to see how everybody reacts to a, a short season. Uh, I love the, what he said about uh, dealing with it by saying that, uh, and by he, I mean, Ricky saying that uh, I'm going to approach this as we played 102 games already. Uh, we're in first place and we're trying to hang on to it. And that, that's a great way to look at it. Absolutely. Especially if you want your team to get off to a good start. Yeah, I think I think a lot of that, like about the whole Ricky thing, gets missed sometimes because you look what he did when he first came in. And, you know, obviously he had a, a different group of guys. I mean, guys like Avisel Garcia, who you know was on the bubble of whether he was going to stay there. I mean, he had a large variety of personalities and brought them all together with this one model: we're going to play our asses off, and you know we're going to try yeah. to win ball games. And I think that's still the model today, even with a completely new batch of guys in there. I mean, you've added like Luis Robert, and you've added, I mean, assuming they're going to add Nick Madrigal, it's, you know, some younger guys along with some veterans like Edwin and, you know, Dallas Keuchel. It's a, it's a variety. And I think he's going to have to play a very important role for them this year 
to kind of keep them all in this one unit. And it, from what it sounds like, you know, from reports like from you and like early reports in spring training about how, you know, good the guys were gelling, it seems like we're moving towards that. Yeah. And you know, it's going to be very interesting to watch this year. If you, if you think about Ricky Renteria's career as a manager, he has never had what I would call a championship caliber roster. Uh, it's usually been in flux. You know, when he first came with the Cubs, it was, you know, the beginning, you know, they, they 2014, you know, they showed some improvement. They still had a, lump, a, a bunch of young guys. Uh, you can say the same thing about what he was dealing with when he was here with the White Sox uh, when he first got here uh, as the manager, that is. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been rebuilt. You know, it's still not to the point where I think the, the architects of this whole thing want it to be just yet. I mean, I think there's still some, some room, but uh, at this point, you know, you're beyond the rebuild and now, you want to win. And I think that they have the group of guys in that clubhouse that can win. And I think some of these guys know exactly what it's like. I mean, Dallas Keuchel was around those Astros teams, even though they were cheating, Uh, (laughs) you know, he did okay. But, you know, I I kid about that, but you know, he, you know, he had a a tremendous run uh, there with the Astros and then uh, a good run toward the end of last year with the, with the Braves. Gio Gonzalez has been around winning programs before. Edwin Encarnacion has certainly been around winners. Uh, Nomar Mazzara is kind of trying to figure that whole thing out now, too, and trying to establish himself. Grandal's been around it. So, you know, there's a lot of guys in that clubhouse that have experienced it before. And until you get to that cusp, you really can't explain to a young guy what it's all about. They have to kind of figure it out. Now, I think a lot of those guys in the clubhouse that were young started to figure out themselves last year. I mean, Lucas Giolito sounds like a different guy spring training quote-unquote summer camp this year than he did even going into last year when he had a breakout type of year tim anderson's been the same guy pretty much ever since i've gotten to, to know him uh, a couple of years ago uh, a confident guy that's not going to take no for an answer and fully expects to be as good if not better uh, than he was last year Eloy jimenez i mean who can't love this guy I mean, he's got a <laughs> Hi, face all the damn time you know exactly <laughs> we had a we had a we had a call with him the other day on zoom and he walked into the room and just going peace, you know, and hey, how you doing? <laughs> hey, hey guys, how you doing? Uh, so, you know, they're, they're, this is an easy group to like. It's an easy group to root for. Uh, and, and I really feel like if they get off to a good start, anything can happen. I mean, think about it. Most of these games now are going to be almost uh, two and a half times to three times as important as they were uh, for 162 games. So you really can't afford to fall too far back. Absolutely. I think I'm, I'm really excited for Ricky because it seems like he's always gotten the short end of the stick because he gets to somewhere as they're in the rebuild. And he kind of gets yeah. the boot right as they're about to start winning. And it feels like he's going to be able to make through this White Sox rebuild into the White Sox winning culture. And I'm excited for him to be able to experience that because he's never really gotten that chance. Yeah, and he's talented. I mean, the guy knows baseball. I mean, I used to sit there in San Diego and when he was the bench coach. And, you know, we'd be on the team playing or the bus or, or even at the ballpark early. And I would bend his ear because, you know, I want to learn as much about the game as I can so that I can at least speak somewhat intelligently about it in the booth. <laughs> and, you know, he, he had some thoughts and some, some theories and some, some practices that uh, I thought were fantastic. I thought, you know, this guy's going to be a great manager. He was a, a single-A manager in the Padres organization before they brought him up to uh, take over as first base coach and then eventually bench coach. So he played, too. I mean, people forget he was one of the original Florida Marlins. And, uh, made his big league debut for Pittsburgh in 1986. So, I mean, he's been around the game for a long time. He's as tough as nails. And, you know, don't ex- don't uh, confuse his positivity and smile for weakness. 
Oh, absolutely not. I remember also, him. I've yeah. Also, yeah. I've seen him get riled up. I mean, I've seen him get fired up. And, you know, don't ever mistake the fact that he's this easygoing guy on the surface uh, for somebody that's not a competitor and someone that is not a lion once you flip that switch because he demands it and he will go, he will go ape if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. And I mean, then there's there some controversy a couple of years ago. I think he, I believe he sat Avisil Garcia for not hustling a ball to first base. And it was yeah. like, oh, how can you sit one of our best guys? And he goes, you know, I, I got a moral here. My morals are that we play our asses off. And if we don't do that, I'm going to find somebody that will. And that's something where I was yeah. going, I started, I started clapping. Like, I love that mentality. Yeah. I mean, you can't make exceptions. I mean, even if it's your star player, you can't make an exception. Now, the only exception I would say is if a guy's hurt, we don't know about it before a game. Exactly. And he's not hustling because he's got a leg injury and, you know, you don't want a guy to, 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 you know, to bust it on a routine ground ball to shortstop. I mean, I kind of get that. I still like to see guys hustling all the time. I go easy for me to say, and, and I'm not playing the game all the time. And mm -hmm. I don't have the wears and tears on my body that, uh, that they do, but you know, you, you can't set people apart from others. You can't just say, okay, this rule applies to you, you and you, and not you. Uh, no, it, it's gotta be everybody. And you know what? It happened to Wellington Castillo too. In, in one instance, uh, where I remember talking to him uh, after uh, after a game saying, yeah, I messed up. You know, I should have known better. I apologize to Ricky immediately. I don't blame him at all for taking me out of the game. That's because it's a consistent message, and it's a message that he delivers at the very beginning of everything. You know when you come into camp exactly what's expected of you and where Ricky stands. Yeah, I think that's how you build a winning culture. Everybody understands what the message is, and you, you move from that base foundation. And I think that's why the White Sox have a good chance, not just being successful this year, but – you know, in the, in the future as well. Um, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. I don't know if you got this little quirk yet looking at the schedule, but you are going to get 15 straight games in the city of Chicago. That's a nice little, uh, a nice little stretch there. <laughs> are you excited about that? Well, to be honest with you, we're going to get 60 games in, in Chicago because the radio guys aren't traveling this year, which is uh, oh, okay. going to be another little, uh, little, little wrinkle into the 60 game schedule. You know, there's a, uh, there's a lot of things that go around major league baseball now where they're trying to, limit the number of people in a, in a ballpark during a game. So the broadcaster, actually, we're all, we're going to be doing all of our broadcasts from guaranteed rate field, whether they're there or that they're somewhere else. Really? And that includes Wrigley field from what I understand. Yeah. So uh, that's going to add to the challenge a little bit as far as the, the broadcast end of it all, because we're going to be dependent upon a, a TV picture to be able to call it for you. Um, which is, you know, not ideal, but uh, I care less to be honest with you. I'm just ready to, to do it. So, it's uh, it's one of those strange things about this year where, you know, they, they, they split people up into different tiers. You know, there's a tier one, tier two, and tier three. And uh, the broadcast groups are in the tier three level, which uh, only tier one and tier two are the ones that are approved to travel gotcha. uh, through the team to the team plane and through the uh, team charter and, and bus and everything like that. Again, just to limit the number of outside forces that uh, could possibly come together. You know, it's not the greatest thing in the world for us. I mean, I, I you know, DJ, I, I spoke to him the other day too. You know, we'd like to be with him. We get to know these players a lot better when they're on the road, uh, you know, away from the assembled media here all the time. And you get kind of get them away from their homes and their home bases. And you get a chance to really uh, talk some, some baseballs, talk some personal things with, uh, with these guys. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit uh, of a detraction in that respect, but to be honest with you, as long as we're calling the games and as long as they're playing the games, if it's, if it's a one-year thing, you know, hey, I, I, I'm not going to complain because I just want there to be baseball and I want there to, to be some games. Yeah, no, on kind of that note, I'm going to ask you to be brutally honest with me. 
Okay, we've yeah. seen we've seen some some teams struggle getting their camps going. Um, you know, obviously there's been some struggles with testing that's kind of been publicized. In your 100% honest opinion, do we have a full 60 game schedule, or do we kind of start it and it ends, or do we not even get to that point? Uh, I, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that they're going to get 60 in, and I really think that they're going to do everything that they possibly can to uh, avoid a doomsday situation where they would have a shutdown. You know, obviously the, the, the medical profession is still trying to get a hold of uh, exactly what this virus is and how it's transmitted and if there can be a vaccine. Uh, you know, the testing is one of the, the better parts of it because at least when you find out quickly and find out early that a guy has it, you can get him away from everybody and try to uh, prevent it. You know, there, there have been situations in the past before COVID-19 reared its ugly head you know, they're, 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 a flu bug will run through the club or, you know, an upper respiratory infection will run through the team. So it's not, it's not unheard of that things go through uh, a major league clubhouse or any sport, but, you know, this is obviously a little bit much, this is much more serious than, than just the, uh, you know, that, those common bugs. But, uh, you know, I really, I, I really think that major league baseball and the players union will do what it can. If, if it starts the season, they want to finish the season. Now, listen, if things get out of hand and get, you know, there, there's, 20 guys on each team or there's 25 or whatever, or whatever their number that they have in their head. I mean, let's not be foolish. You know, let's, 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 let's let these guys live their lives and, you know, and protect their families. And, you know, sports is a great distraction for a lot of people. You know, it's my livelihood. It's a lot of their livelihoods. And yeah, I'm selfishly hoping that we get to go and everybody plays and, and stays healthy. But listen, you know, there, there are some things that are bigger than the game and bigger than uh, all of this because, at the end of the day, you got to be healthy to go home and take care of your family, take care of your kids, uh, take care of your parents if you need to do that. So, you know, honestly, in my heart of hearts, I hope and I, and I think that we're going to get through 60. Uh, do I know that for a fact? You know, hey, I, 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 can't, I can't tell you 100% that that's going to be the case. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, any, anytime we can get some positive outlook, we'll take it because, you know, some, it's obviously, <laughs> you know, people are on the end of the spectrum and you don't really know all the time, but, you know, it is, it is good to hear. Um, people are positive and especially someone that's as close to as to the game as you are. Um, all right, Andy, I got one more thing before you go. Um, okay. We do this with all of our guests and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a little fun question that we ask people, okay. um, you know, 60 games, a lot of variation, a lot of different things could happen. We could see a team that's supposed to be really bad, like the Royals or the Tigers, maybe get a hot streak going and they win a lot of games and you know, they're in the playoffs. We could see a team that's supposed to be really good. Like, you know, maybe the twins or, you know, the Cardinals or the Cubs get off to a really bad start, and all of a sudden they're not even in contention. Maybe a player has a great start. Um, but with that being said, 60 games, what is some crazy scenario, you know, a hot take, a bold prediction um, that would kind of shock people if it happened, but, you, you know, <laughs> you're going out on a limb saying it could possibly happen. What do you got? Wow. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out in my head how many starts each guy is going to get uh, as far as, uh, you know, a starting rotation guy. You know, normally it's about 32, 33. So you're probably looking at, you know, somewhere around 12. You know, I think so. Will we have a 10-game winner? I think maybe we will. I mean, that might, okay. be, that might be one of those crazy things where you see a guy hitting uh, going getting 10 wins. The thing I think that's more likely – uh, would be a guy that would flirt with 400 because okay. we're talking about a 60 game swing here. We're talking about two months worth of action. I've seen, I've been around guys that have been hot for two or three months and uh, have really gone crazy and hit around 350 during that time. 
I think, and I don't know who it's going to be, but I really think there are some talented players enough in this league that if they stay healthy, they could flirt with 400. I think that would be something that we might see this year. And then it's going to start a nice long debate about the asterisk and whether it really counts. And uh, if this guy is now in the Hall of Fame picture, uh, will he be able to do anything like that the following year if they have 162 games? So I think the likelier scenario, rather than even the 10-game winner or a team winning 50 games as a, as a club, I think might be, the, might be the 400 hitter. Yeah, you know, actually I have heard that one a little bit, but it is, it's, it's, that's a hot take, though, because, you know, it's, yeah. it, people still forget, like, even though it's 60 games, it's going to be still tough to hit 400. It's just more likely now because you don't need to hit another 100 games to hit, you know, yeah. 400. But You're not going to get as many at-bats. So, I mean – you know, you keep collecting those hits, it's going to be in a, in a concentrated amount of bats and it's going to, it's going to work out in your favor, um, you know, in, in the batting average. I mean, you know, the batting average is not everything to, to people anymore. You know, the, the saver metrics has kind of taken that out of play, but that's still, to me, a feat. If you can get a hit four times out of every 10, uh, something that only a few people in the history of the league have been able to do, uh, you know, that's saying something. You still got to do it, you know? I mean, even if it's only 60 games, you still got to do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you, if you kind of spread it out over the, the length of 100, probably more likelihood of going into a slump or having a few hitless games. You can put together a couple of hot weeks, and you're uh, basically now, what, uh, like a tenth of the way through the season already? Yeah, I mean, I was doing the math. Like, I mean, let's say a team goes like 15 and 9 you just played 40% of your schedule. Like, I mean, that's how quickly this happens. And so, yeah. no, absolutely. It, it's nuts. I mean, that that's why, you know, it, uh, I keep saying to people, you know, what's your prediction? What's your prediction for, you know, how many games everybody will win? I'm like, well, you know, it's really hard to do that because, you know, the, the old saying is, you know, the best teams in baseball are going to lose 60. The worst teams are going to win 60. And the other 42 kind of determine, you know, where everybody goes. So what is it now? The, the best teams in baseball are going to win, t- uh, lose 10 and the, the best teams are going to, the worst teams are going to uh, win 10. That's what you do with the other 40. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how that's going to play out, but, you know, certainly seeing teams in your own division for the, the bulk of the year, uh, there's not a lot of secrets, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of, uh, you know, the, the twins. Yeah. They've, they've added some players that the Indians have lost a few players here and there. Teams that you're so familiar with that, uh, you know, even with the schedule, the way it turned out with the, the twins and the Indians being the first two teams, uh, that the White Sox play, nobody knows what the mindset of these players is going to be come July 24th. I mean, do they have enough time here to get ready in this short three weeks of, of summer camp? Are three exhibition games enough to get you into game shape after you've been off for three and a half months? I mean, who knows? I mean, some guys, it doesn't take that long. Some guys, it's going to take a longer time, and you don't have that longer time because, you know, like you said, three weeks, and it's almost, you know, that's that's a good chunk of your season right there. Yeah, I think uh, – I know I've heard some differing thoughts on that too. And, it, like, some people are saying it's a sprint. Some are saying, well, maybe it's a shorter marathon. And I think that's a big way of people coming out and looking at it. Like, are we coming out looking at this of we're 110% from the get-go? Are some teams like, hey, we still got 60 games. We're going to balance this out and we're going to be, you know, you know, not really adamant about it. We're just going to take our time. And, you know, I think that's a big, you know – dilemma in the way teams are thinking and that's going to take a real effect on the way things start yeah I think it's a sprint I, I, really I do, do too um, I do too you know I've been I've been around enough marathons here in seasons that uh, <laughs> yeah. have gone on really long where you know like you said you know you look back to last year and through 50 games the eventual world series champion was 19 and 31 and at the same so, time the Giants were 31 and 19 
Exactly. And, and the Seattle Mariners got off to a 17 and two start and then were never heard from again. So, nope. you know, it's, it's a small sample size. And again, a team like that, you know, could surprise if you get off to a good start, you start feeling pretty good about yourself. And now you're not having to maintain this for four months. You're only having to maintain it for another month and a half. So, uh, and you have 60 players to choose from, you know, so you could, you could do a lot of maneuvering and a lot of roster manipulation and, you know, the one thing that people aren't talking about is the trade deadline, yeah, uh, which is August 31st this year. So, you know, normally July 31st, you get a guy for a couple of months or maybe three as a rental. Uh, are you going to take a chance and get rid of some of your high, uh, high valued prospects to win a 60 game season when you're going to rent a guy for a month? I don't know. I don't envy these guys making these decisions in this crazy year because you, know, you you, you want to win. Obviously, that's the reason that they suit up and go out and play the game. Everybody wants to win that championship. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, the Cubs manager, David Ross, put it best. One of the best thing I've heard so far is when somebody asked him if the season was legit, he goes, hey, if they're handing out a trophy at the end of the year, it's legit. I want to win it. You know, and I think Absolutely. that's the, the, the belief of everybody, uh, not just on the Cubs. But, uh, you know, it's it's tough to, to kind of figure out what you're going to do. I mean, do, do you mortgage your entire next year? for this short-term gratification of winning a championship this year. To me, I say, you know, you win, you win, right? It doesn't matter to me if it's 30 games or 10 games. If you're the winner, you're the winner. You're the last team standing, you win. You want to talk about about asterisks. I mean, if your team wins it, you're not putting an asterisk on it. I can tell you right now, if the White Sox win the World Series this year, there's not going to be an asterisk next to it in my history books. No, and I tell you this, you know, I think in some ways it's actually harder to win the championship this way than it is over the 162-game normal situation. I mean, go, go back to the Blackhawks in 2013. Exactly. You know, they, they crammed 48 games into 99 days. You know, this is hockey. This is, these guys are, are going full bore for 60 minutes. And the Blackhawks got off to that amazing un, un, unbeaten streak to start things off, and there was no stopping them from that point. But, you know, if they had, had any hit, kind of a hiccup, there, there's no recovery from that. This is, this is tougher to me in some respects to win than the normal season. I actually agree with you wholeheartedly there. I think that you have more teams competing and you have less room for error. And so that makes everybody's, everybody's alive. Everybody's you know? competitive. I mean, and you're talking about the trade deadline. We could legitimately see a team like Kansas city, maybe get off to a hot start and they're buyers in August because they think they have a chance. Yeah. And I, I think it's going to be yeah. really fun to watch. I think, I think the best way to put it is just, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be yeah, fun. Or, chaos. Organized chaos. Yeah. Organized chaos is a great way to put it. Yeah, um, that's fun. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Uh, you know, a great personality and someone we're going to get to hear a lot of here for hopefully the next few years. And, uh, yeah, going to be a, a new part of White Sox history, Andy Mazur. So thank you so much for coming on. And uh, hopefully, if you aren't busy at some point during the season, we can talk again. Sounds good to me. And thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting things going and uh, bringing the White Sox fans some, some nice broadcasts and also hopefully calling a lot of wins. Yep. Can't wait to hear those win calls from you. But thank you so much, Andy. And uh, yep, Andy Mazur, WGN Radio. Sounds good. All right, guys, that was our interview with Andy Mazur. Just, just a really great guy. And, uh, I'm actually extremely excited to uh, to hear him on the radio this year. He's taking over for a legend, and uh, you know it's 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 always nice to hear you know a little different a little different vibe sometimes in the booth. Obviously, we're all going to miss Ed Farmer, 
but Andy's got his own personality and he's going to do some fantastic stuff in the booth at the White Sox. So uh, really cool to be able to talk to him. But we are going to do something different. I didn't mention this in the intro, but we are going to do this. Uh, we're going to just talk about uh, how many wins it's going to take to win the divisions. Um, should be interesting. And uh, we are going to see how many wins it's going to take to win each division. So, Kenny, what do you got? All right, so we're going to – this podcast, so we're, we got a couple more. So we got, what, three weeks till for opening day, and we got – some means we got six podcasts, so we will get all the divisions done by opening day. So for the first one, we're going to do the AL Central. And this is my take on the AL Central. The Chicago White Sox win the AL Central, winning 34 games. Really? Yeah. You're taking the White Sox. I am. I'm kind of shocked by that. I do think the White Sox win it. And I think the Twins take second. And the Twins will be the second wild card team in the American League. Interesting. So you think the Indians are going to get the – or the Twins are going to be the second wild card? What did you say there? You broke up a little bit. You think the Twins are going to be the second wild card? Yes. Interesting. So the White Sox are going to win 34. Yep. So – and the Twins are second. How many do the Twins have then? I think they'll be right around 32. 32 and 28 for the Twins. Interesting. And that, I mean, the second wild card team comes from the AL East. Because right now they have the Twins at over under 34 and a half and the White Sox at 31 and a half. Yep. And I think White Sox are going to blow that over. They're going to hit that over easy. I just, you know, you look at the White Sox rotation, they got a lot of young guys in there and they're anchored by Dallas Keuchel. They have a very good they have a very good catcher in Yasmani Grandal. We saw what he did with the Milwaukee pitching staff, and the White Sox young pitching talent is by far more talented than the Brewers pitching staff was last year. Hmm. Yasmani Grandal is going to make that pitching staff perform this year. Yeah, so if we're looking at that. So we're talking about wins, right? So the Twins are setting the, are setting the bar. Right now, from Odds Shark, that's where I'm, I'm getting these odds at. Yep. Um, they're setting the bar at 34 and a half, which means that thir- thir- 34 and a half is what they think wins the division. Whether you take or- over at 35 or under at 34, what they think wins the division. I do think Minnesota wins the division. I really do. Uh, as much as I want to be a White Sox, you know, Homer here, I do think Minnesota wins it. Um, although I think the White Sox pitching staff is probably better than Minnesota. I th- it's deeper. Um, that, there's no question that it's deeper. I mean, you have Keuchel, you have Giolito at the top, which rivals Minnesota's Barrios and Orizzi. Um, and then depth-wise, Minnesota's going to roll out Maeda, Rich Hill, and Homer Bailey, probably. Those are going to be their other three. With the White Sox, you have Gio Gonzalez, Michael Kopech, Carlos Rodon, Renato Lopez and Dylan Cease, which means, you know, we talked about with David Gasper, they could easily do, you know, some tandem starts or you go Kopech to Gonzalez or you go Rodon to Lopez or Cease to Lopez or Cease to Rodon, you name it. All these different things they could do. 
where the Twins don't have that depth in the rotation, but offensively the Twins are much more advanced. You're talking – I mean, you go around the diamond there, and their offense matches up with any other offense in the league, whether you want to talk about the Yankees, the Dodgers, you name it, they match them. I mean, you're talking Garver hitting – Garver at the plate, Sano at first, Donaldson at third, Arias at second, Polanco at short, Rosario, Kepler, Buxton in the outfield. I mean, they're going to they're gonna hit, and they're going to score runs. And if their pitching staff can just do the bare minimum, which they're going to get good starts out of Barrios, they're going to get good starts out of Odorizzi, like those guys are going to do it. Those other three starters can just do the bare minimum and keep their guys in the games, then they're going to be fine, and they're going to win the division, um, especially when you're playing enough games against Kansas City and, you know, Detroit. Like they're, I mean, they're going to win. And I think the White Sox, that's the only thing where I'm scared about, is that they might struggle every now and then against those really bad teams. They do have to go to Detroit seven – or Kansas City seven times. And it's always a struggle in Kansas City. No matter what goes on, it's always a struggle in Kansas City. And if they go six and four against Kansas City, I'm happy with that. But that's why I, – I think the White Sox can get second. I really do. I think they probably get 32 wins. But I think Minnesota probably wins 34 or 35 and wins the division. All right. So, all right, that was a little quick segment there, talking about the AL Central. And we're going to move straight into our brand-new segment. Kenny, we're doing a draft. Yep. We are doing a draft. And, you know, I was trying to think, what could we do a draft? You know, let's, let's, let's copycat. You know, you see all kinds of different people doing drafts in the podcast world. And I figured we'd copycat. I haven't seen this one yet, so we're going to test it out. The worst baseball Twitter personalities that we could find. And so, Kenny, I'm going to give you the honor of the first pick in the inaugural Chalk line talk draft. Who do you have as the worst Twitter personality? And please don't steal mine. Oh, I don't know if you're going to pick him, but Aubrey Huff, man. Damn I it. That's the worst one. Hate that guy on Twitter, man. Like, hate him on Twitter. Yeah, he's terrible. He's just, he's so bad. I think that's everybody's, like, obvious number one. That's kind of why I gave it to you because I figured you were going to take him. Damn, he's so bad. Yeah, I do not. He tweeted today, and I'm just like, dude, go f yourself. Like he's he's so bad. Yeah, like, I don't like when he got in that argument with Bauer and was just like trying to disregard all analytics. He made himself sound so dumb. Mm-hmm. Oh, was, yeah, I. He is the worst on Twitter. Um, I guess I'll go. I'll take – all right. Next pick. I'm going to go with Dom Frederick. You know what that is, Kenny? Okay. Yep, yep. The director of morale guy for the Cubs. He's awful. Yeah. I can't stand him. I don't know why, and maybe it's because he's a Cubs guy and that makes it worse, but I cannot stand him. All right. I like it. All right. What do you got, Kenny? Kurt Schilling. Damn it. That was my other one. Oh, my God. Stealing I all of them. I cannot stand him tweeting, dude. Well, him and I Aubrey Huff are basically the same tweeting. thing. Him and Aubrey Huff yeah. are so yeah. similar. Like, so similar. Yeah. yeah uh, he's, he's not good either. 
not not a fan of uh of Kurt. He's in the same boat. Also, why is he relevant? Like, didn't he go bankrupt too? Yes. And then all of a sudden, like, he just got a job at ESPN, like, not be broke anymore. Like, cool. Like, good job, man. But, yeah. all, right, all right, round two. Round two pick for me. I'm going to go with Bob Nightingale. He has oh, to be. Okay. thank you. Thank you. That was going to be my next one if you didn't do that. He has to be the worst, like, the worst reporter of all of them. Like, literally has to be the worst one. Not a yeah. question. Because like, he literally just copies every single thing that Passon says. He's he, he wants awful. To be, yeah. Well, he wants I, to be Passon. Yeah, and I'll, I'll always go back to now his most recent horrible, horrible take. When the Cubs drafted Ed Howard, and he tried to make it into, like, some political statement that the Cubs were the only team to draft – an African-American kid in the first round. And it was like, no. it, ha- it has nothing to do with that. Like, he's a very – he's just a good baseball player. And he yeah. made it – he made it super awkward. Like, now you're making it seem like the kid only got drafted because he was African-American instead of the fact that he's actually good at baseball. Like, can't you just accept that the Cubs drafted him because he's actually just a good baseball player, not because he's a, he's, he's a different race? Like – that was that was all time stupidity on the half of Mike or Bob Nightingale, and that was when I was like, yeah, yeah he's got to be the worst. But all right, Kenny, your final pick in the draft is going to be who? Peter Moylan. I know he hasn't tweeted in a while. The old Braves relief pitcher. Yeah, okay. But all the guy used to tweet about was pitchers hitting. <laughs> oh my god, that just dude just. Grab your tonka toy and kick rocks. Like seriously, no one wants <laughs> I don't to see remember Peter hit. Moylan. I don't remember him. Oh my god! On Twitter, but I remember him. Yes, being, he's like a side armor, wasn't he? Yes, and he used to tweet all the time about pitchers hitting. It was like, dude, just go grab your tonka toy and kick some rocks, please. Interesting. That was oh. that was a, that was an interesting one. I was not expecting that. He's frustrating to follow on Twitter. All right, my third pick. Let's see. I got to do uh, some thinking here. All right, this one is kind of more general, but it's kind of the same thing. The fake Ken Rosenthal account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you ruin all the fun. Like, yeah. you come out and all of a sudden, like, we think this big breaking news is happening, and it's all fake. Like, every single bit of it's fake. Like, when he first came out, and I don't remember what his first big one was, and everybody bought it, and no one even, like, thought about doing it. And then all of a sudden, like, Rosenthal came out and was like, yeah, that's not real. And then from there, everybody made a fake Ken Rosenthal account. Yes. And now everybody makes fake Ian Rappaport accounts and fake Adam Schefter accounts. And you name it, there's a fake account for every single reporter. Like, in any sport. Yes. And so I think the OG Ken Rosenthal fake account might be the worst account. Worst worst Twitter personality. I agree with you. I think I, – you know what? That's an interesting, Jeff. We're going to have to see how the, uh, how the listeners feel about who won that. You definitely did get two heavyweights with Aubrey Hoff and Kurt Schilling, though. Oh, okay. 
an absolute heavyweight battle with Hoff and Schilling. Yes. I do like my Dom Frederick pick, though. He's a, he's a sleeper, but he's terrible. And Bob Nightingale's awful. But, all right. That's our original, inaugural, first-time Chalk Line Talk draft. We are going to – you guys let us know who won. We'll see who won. We'll keep, we'll keep records of the best drafts and see who is the all-time winner of the, of the best drafts. We got, we got to find it. What's a good name for our, our Chalk Line Talk draft? We got to come up with a good name. Chalkline Talk Draft Edition. I don't know. No, we got we got I mean, a clever name. We'll think of one. We'll get there. But as of now, it's the Chalkline Talk Draft, and that was our first edition of it. We are now going to move on to our next segment, which is going to be What the Hell Happened? Our third and final segment. See you guys there. What the hell happened? It's our next segment. Kenny is going to start us off with his what the hell happened. I'll see if I can finally get mine. I'm going to stump him today, though. He ain't, he's not getting it. He won't get it. He will not get mine All today. Right. I'm telling you right now, he won't get it until I give you the answer. But Kenny, you're up first. All right. I got the former number two pick of the MLB, of an MLB draft. I won't give you the year. Uh, Mark Appel. No. Damn it. Nope, oh, he nope. was one. He was one. Yeah, he was one, yeah. Uh, all right. This guy racked up 11 years of – 11.150 years of MLB service time. He uh, is currently 37 years old but hasn't played in the league since 2017. Um, played for the Brewers for a long time. This is one of my favorite guys to watch. Uh Brought in wars in Milwaukee of 3.1, 2.0, 1.3, 5.9, 3.3, and 1.5. And then a 1.3 before shit hit the fan. So he's a crew of 18.4 war. Hit 161 home runs. Uh, weighted runs created plus for his career is an average of 106. Um his high for rate runs created plus was 127 in 2010 when he went to a 5.9 war. Um, any guesses? So he played how many years with the Brewers? Oh, I gotta hold on. I gotta do some counting here. So he did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years with the Brewers. And then he finished off with who? The Rays. And what, what year was that? 2017. Uh, what position was he? Second base, left field, first base. It's not Ricky Weeks, is it? It is. It's Ricky Weeks? It is Ricky Weeks, yeah. I do remember this, that last guy, year he was, in, he was in Tampa, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is a guy that was a staple of the Brewers lineup for a couple – I mean, for five years, I mean, this guy tore it up in Milwaukee. Went to Arizona, played 108 games, hit uh, nine home runs, .3 war. Um, then went to Tampa in 2017, played 37 games, 112 plate appearances, two home runs, .1 war. But, yeah, Ricky's a, you know, he was a guy that seemed like he was always hurt when you needed him. 
Yeah, I know. Uh, I remember Ricky Weeks. Ricky Weeks was a good player. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, but what ended his career was uh, he went on the DL with a shoulder injury. Can't throw baseball anymore. So, yeah, that that's Ricky Weeks. All right, that's a good one. I know Ricky Weeks was kind of like it was him. Like when I when growing up and like figuring out how the Brewers were, obviously it was Braun, it was Spathia, it was Ricky Weeks, little Prince Fielder in there, little Ben Sheets, and those were that was the Brewers to me. I mean, obviously not being a Brewers fan, but those were the, that was the Brewers to me. So now Ricky Weeks is a Brewer in my eyes. So, um, all right, Kenny, let's see if you can get mine. So my guy played. I'm not going to count 2004. He played eight innings. He pitched eight innings there, but from the yep. years 2005. To the years 2017 is when he had a major league career. He played with one – actually, I don't even know how many teams he played with. He played with a lot. I uh, played with the Dodgers, the Angels, the A's, the Nationals, a lot of different teams in there. I would say he's probably mostly known for being a reliever. Uh, he did have uh, a lot of years where he was a starter. From 2005 through 2010, he averaged around 30 starts a year. Then he kind of came uh, – or then actually, he was pretty much starter until 2013. And then after that, 2015, 2016, 2017, was a reliever. I mostly remember him from being a reliever. I don't know why that is, but he was a starter for a long time. Uh, was never really fantastic. Was pretty much just average, like 3-5 ERA, 4 ERA, 3-9, 4. Like, just really average. Um, I mostly picked him because he had a long career, was like a journeyman, and because of what he's doing now. Any beginning hints, Kenny? Mm, who do y'all play for? So the teams he played for, he played for the A's, he played for the Phillies, he played for the Dodgers, he played for the Angels, played for the Royals, the Pirates, the Dodgers again, and then finished off with the Nationals in 2017. He accumulated oh a war in his career of 12. His highest career war was a 5.3 in 2007 with the Athletics, where he only struck out 5.48 per nine and had a 3.95 ERA. But he did throw 230 innings. Was it Joe Blanton? It was Joe Blanton. Oh, my God. I literally pulled that out of my ass. Joe freaking Blanton. I can't believe you got I actually you cannot never, believe you got that. You will never get one past me. I don't know I how you pulled that out of your ass. I don't, Joe, how did you get Joe Blanton? Uh, I don't know because you started talking about he was a starter and then a reliever. And then I'm thinking, who the hell is this? And then when you said the Nationals in 2017, I was thinking, who was on the Nationals? And then when you said the A's, yeah, that's what yeah, I got there. Really known for uh, that absolute nuke piece he gave up to uh, Miguel Montero in the 2016 NLCS. That was, uh, that was pretty tough. He actually was really good that year, too. And that's the only thing you remember for in that season. He's giving up the grand slam to Montero. He had a 2-4-8 ERA in 80, 80 innings pitched that year in 75 games, the Dodgers. Like, he was okay. nasty. Struck out a career high 9 per nine, 9. per nine. Only allowed up .79 homers per nine. 
Left on base, 82%. Like, dude was actually kind of filthy in 2016. And then it's only known that he gave up the bomb to Montero. But what he's doing now? What do you think Joe Blanton does now? I have no – probably coaching Little League Baseball or drinking six-packs on the oh, daily. you're kind of close to the drinking part. Oh, really? He owns a winery. Oh, really? Yeah, good for him, huh? Yeah. I was kind of interested to see that. I don't know. I came across that a couple weeks ago, actually. And I figured that'd be a good one, like a last second what the hell happened. Joe Blanton. But All right, guys, that's all we got for our what the hell happened segment. Joe Blanton and Ricky Weeks. Interesting uh, interesting duo there. And uh, you know what? That's all we got for the show. Fantastic interview with Andy Mazur. We want to thank him again for coming on. Had a great time. Can't wait to hear him on the radio pretty soon. Three great segments with a draft that I obviously won. Uh, no questions about it. Kenny lost, even though he had Aubrey Huff, who's like literally LeBron James in this. Um, but, you know, my team's deeper, so I'll take the deeper team. Uh, you know, we, we play with depth, not with star power here in these drafts. So uh, I'll take the win. You guys are going you know, to vote. It's fine. I already won. Um, we also were able to do North Star Bench Cut. We both agreed, which is kind of lame, but we did both agree. And uh, all in all, great show, uh, great time. And we will see you guys Monday with a brand new episode. But for today's Thursday edition, we're out. See ya. Chalk Line Talk, baby. Oh, thank you.